Welcome to the Blue Collar Zen Podcast, recorded here at the Detroit Zen Center. Welcome back to the podcast. It has been a long time. So our intention for this uh, this 2024 uh, new year is to release an episode the first week of each month. So this uh, this week's episode is coming out just before the Lunar New Year. And the name of this uh, story that uh, Sunim is about to read is called The Cutting Up of the Ox. His cook was cutting up an ox for the ruler, Wen Hui. Whenever he applied his hand, leaned forward with his shoulder, planted his foot, and employed the pressure of his knee in the audible ripping off of the skin and slicing operation of the knife, the sounds were all in regular cadence. Movements and sounds proceeded as in the dance of the mulberry forest and the blended notes of the Book of Songs. The ruler said, Ah, admirable that your art should have become so perfect. Having finished his operation, the cook laid down his knife and replied, to the ruler. What your servant loves is the method of the Tao, something always in advance of any art. When I first began to cut up an ox, I saw nothing but the entire carcass. After three years, I ceased to see it as a whole. Now I deal with it in a spirit-like manner and do not look at it with my eyes. The use of my senses is discarded and my spirit acts as it wills, observing the natural lines my knife slips through the great crevices and slides through the great cavities taking advantage of the facilities thus presented. My art avoids the joints or tendons, and much more, the great bones. A good cook changes his knife every year. It may have been injured in cutting. An ordinary cook changes his every month. It may have been broken. Now, my knife has been in use for 19 years. It has cut up several thousand oxen, and yet its edge is as sharp as if it had newly come from the whetstone. There are the small spaces between the joints, and the edge of the knife has no appreciable thickness. 
when that which is so thin enters where the spaces are, how easily it moves along. The blade has more than room enough. Nevertheless, whenever I come to a complicated joint and see that there will be some difficulty, I proceed with great caution, not allowing my eyes to wander from the place and moving my hand very slowly. Then by a very slight movement of the knife, the part is quickly separated and drops like a clod of earth to the ground. Then standing up with the knife in my hand, I look all around and in a leisurely manner with an air of satisfaction, wipe it clean and put it in its sheath. The ruler Wen Hui said, Excellent! I have heard the words of my cook and learned from them the nourishment of our lives. Well, Sinem, I somehow don't think that story was necessarily about cutting up an ox. What was it about? It seems to be about how to live. Well, of course, that's what the emperor said. And I think the important thing here is that what he said was that he felt like when he followed the Tao, and of course, as I teach and as Bodhidharma taught, Tao is Zen, Zen is Tao. They both represent the way that things come into existence and have a lifespan, and then they leave existence to be In the, revolve, in the revolving world of coming back yet again in, in a different form and quite possibly in a different place and everything. And so what he was demonstrating was that there was no resistance mm. to the knife, so the knife didn't dull. Right. And when he got to a difficult place, uh, he slowed down and paid even closer attention and moved, I would say, very prudently until, as he pointed out, it just falls away. Mm. And I think this is the meaning of our lives, is that when we're meeting resistance, the place that resistance is coming from is the difficulty. And it simply means that we're not available to the circumstances that have been presented to us. Whereas in this case, the cook was because he was doing the same thing over and over again. But as he pointed out, he got better 
as the years passed. When he completely gave up the idea of a self cutting an ox, just allowing the willless activity to take place. So he's just flowing with the way of Tao, the way of Zen, which is no resistance, no hesitation. Yeah. Although it seems that you, you do need something to do at any given time, I think that you know this discussion of, of having no resistance is in the context of, of doing something. In this case, either cutting up an ox or, more generally speaking, living, living our lives. Um, could you talk about the distinction between having no resistance and what you're describing here as a willless activity? And yet at the same time, the obvious need for us to make choices in our lives, you know, what to do, where to go, what job to get, you know, where to live, you know, whether, you know, to come to a Zen center or a church or, uh, you know, that kind of thing. Life is art. And what the cook pointed out very eloquently, that you can't do the art before the, the, the Tao, if you put it exactly that way. So I think when you raise like questions about what should I do now, right? The solution here is that, to put it as clearly as I can in Zen, is that to find out who you are, because who you are doesn't have to figure anything out. It's the figuring out that's the source of the difficulty. I'm sure you might go along figuring a bunch of things out, but when you ask the big questions, figuring out won't work any longer. Yeah. Like, why, why did you choose this story, Sunim? Because I think it's a beautiful story of how someone that works in the world is applying Tao or Zen in what they do and yeah. progressing in a way that is beautifully described because when you start painting a picture, unless you're a prodigy, I guess, of some sort, it's going to take time. You're going to have to learn the basics of painting. Yeah. But if you persist and you let go of the self that knows anything and simply take in what the teacher is telling you, what the painting is telling you, but none of that happens when the self looms larger than anything. So is that what the cook is talking about, that the Tao has to come before the art? Exactly. So we're getting in touch with, <clears throat> excuse me, getting in touch with the, uh, you know, maybe that which is animating you rather than yeah, taking... That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Right? Otherwise, it's just forms and movements. Yeah. But what we are talking about is what's animating the whole thing. 
Well, I think what's what I find is interesting in my own situation is that it it's easy to take you know, to sort of make that, that basic assumption that there's a self here, there's sort of a, a choice I'm making. I'm an individual and I'm animating myself. My name is Myungju and <clears throat> I have these thoughts and these feelings and these opinions and I'm deciding to meditate, I'm deciding to do this or to do that. But... Um, I think that's a fair statement that people come with. Yeah, right. But... In a sense, every Zen or and or Dawa story, which I think are completely similar, because no one can actually explain the Dao with words. Right. You can't explain Zen with words. Right. Even though we use some words, those words are expressing an idea. Yeah. And it's the idea that we have to get. And if we get stuck on the words, we fail to get the idea conversation, if you listen only to the words and get all wrapped up in asking questions about the words, you're not paying attention to what you need to pay attention to. The, the words are pointing to the moon. Yeah. We actually want to see the moon. Right. And in this case, the, 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 the moon was the... Uh, the ox. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, something that stuck he out. He said he was talking about that I have to operate with the spirit of the of, of the oxen. Uh, yeah, it's ironic to me since, you know, I am uh, the cook here at the Zen Center. And it's a, we're a, a, it's a vegan center where I don't eat anything that has had a mother. So I found it a little bit ironic that you chose a story about chopping up an ox, cutting up an ox. Um, is there, is that your humor coming out? <laughs> can you can you speak to that point? <laughs> I'm you glad to see you're smiling. There's no. <laughs> yeah, we won't be cutting up any ox here. It's simply metaphor, I think, for <clears throat> yeah. proceeding and doing things carefully. Yeah. Right. And what I say over and over again, when yeah. that's not happening, yeah. if you have a Zen student that's obviously not only maybe moving too fast or yeah. not seeing the detail of what they're doing, right. and when they finish, right. they say to you and you say, well, how come you didn't clean that part? <clears throat> that's right. And And... In a general way, the answer always is that I was cleaning. Yeah, right. So you're saying this could be applied, and I, I know this, the answer to this question, but just to be rhetorical, I guess, this can be applied to chopping carrots. It doesn't have to be of course. A, an oxen. It can apply to anything. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you choosing this story. I've spent, you know, a, a, a number, many years down in the kitchen. And most of my life is spent around kitchen work. And at one point I had a Zen monk say something a little disparaging to me about that, that, well, are you going to spend your life as a Zen monk and a so-called Zen, you know, young Zen teacher, um, you know, cooking food? <laughs> and I remember thinking, it sort of hit me as a little bit arrogant, um, but definitely was a bit of a blow to my own sort of 
I'd never thought of it that way, you know, it's, it's been a, kind of an honor to cook. Uh, but then I began thinking, well, maybe I should be doing something more important with my life I than, think when you, <laughs> than cooking. I think when you doubt what you're doing, yeah, right. and somebody says something, rather than be able to recognize that that's where they're coming from. Right. Exactly. So if there's something outwardly that you have to do yeah. to awaken, right. we haven't discovered what that is yet. Well, the other thing that came out of this story for me, which is very compelling, is that when the cook gets to the difficult part, the joint, that, you know, I think that there can be a tendency when you when you hit difficulty, whether it's cooking or anything in life, to speed up and to panic a little bit and to try harder. But what I heard there was that he slowed down and paid really close attention. And I really feel that in my own situation and maybe for others too that that's a really important teaching that when things start to get difficult you got to really be careful not to uh in a sense to panic and start moving more quickly yeah not be cautious any longer but to pay even closer attention yeah. i think yeah. that <clears throat> i can remember yeah uh when i was a young kid and we had Thanksgiving dinner, and there was a turkey. Okay. And I, I liked the leg. But the leg is connected to the, the shoulder, in this case, by a joint. And all what this cook is saying is that if you're careful, you can find what's holding... Hmm that together and then it just comes out very easily but my tendency was to just try to yank it out yeah right and you it tears all kinds of stuff and it right. comes out very rough right and probably if you talked we had a man here he's apparently he's become a monk that when he came here he was a butcher this is where he started his practice that's right and it would be interesting to see how he butchers now compared to what maybe he did five or ten years ago, or maybe even it's more than that now. Well, he's a vegan now, so he's but he's butchering vegetables, I think. Yeah, well, he also could still be butchering meat. Uh, he doesn't have to eat it to be able to butcher it. Oh, I see. Yeah. So it's a skill, right? It's yeah. a, like any skill. It comes from a place that's pure of our individual self. Mm. When you say and, pure, do you mean free from? Yeah. I see. In the sense that we do many things in our lives over and over <laughs> right. and over again. Right. And when I talk to people, they're always doing those things. Yeah. Mind is someplace else. Right. And, of course, the rest of the day goes on like that. Right. So... All I'm saying to those people is just come back to what you're doing. Right. We usually give you not something as complicated as cutting up an ox. Yeah. It might just be, you know, cleaning a toilet. Right. So it's a very contained area. Right. And you want to make it as clean as possible, which means that you'll have to take your soap and your rag or your brush, whatever you're using, to every part of that. Yeah. And 
it does it of course at first it would be a little bit slower because you're learning how to do it right but as you do it with your attention <coughs> carefully yeah you get faster and it's true of everything like anything that you've learned if you look at it typically you're not good in the beginning because it's brand new right but if you if you actually persist at it the, the better your attention and the freer you are from your idea about it uh, you you're going to you're going to get better to the degree that you can with that particular activity yeah. I mean, they're all everyone all of us have limitations yeah like in athletics we're not all going to become superior athletes right but we can become the best athlete or the best artist or the best musician that we can right by following this guidance that was laid out beautifully by this cook yeah at a time when the Tao was flourishing I mean, this is took place in the early part of chinese history yeah well, it's it's very graceful, Sunim, and I I wonder if this ties into a conversation that we we had yesterday and we've been having recently about what you are calling uh, a kind of transactional approach to life, and even then within the Zen Center, a sort of transactional approach to practice uh, to meditation, and um, yeah, this. That, that, that somehow the experience of what you're doing and paying very close attention to what you're doing and working in whatever you're doing as an artist, not being after something that is outside of the direct experience that you're having. Yeah, I, I think that that's, that is in itself a kind of a skill that, that seems to really go against the grain of at least modern American lifestyle where everything is about getting something, you know. Well, and the other thing is... I don't think it's unnatural in our culture to go any place wanting to get something out of it. Right. Right? But I don't know, because he didn't talk about it and nobody asked, how he learned to cut up ox. And yeah. my guess is it might have been his mother. It might have been a butcher that he worked for as a young man. Right. And whatever it was, he probably didn't do it on his own, which could be done. I'm not saying it couldn't, but it probably will take longer. Yeah. Uh, if you have a good teacher, they're simply pointing at the way. Right. You're paying attention. You try it until you get it right. Right. You don't move on until that person said, Right. You see how it just dropped away now? Yeah. Or whatever the feedback would be. And this, again, is true for anything. Right. But we're always imagining that we're in the driver's seat. And I say by we, the the human part of us, which right. has to exist in the world. And, and Zen is not denying that. Yeah. But we're not wanting to call that the mind. Right. When we talk about the mind in Zen or the Tao, we're actually talking about the the willless activity of of the cosmos. Yeah. And 
being in line with that. Right. And it happens naturally when you get out of the way. Do you think it's safe to call that a higher power? I know that's sort of a loaded phrase, but... Um... Well, I think it's fair to say that I don't think we have to change the name, but now that you've brought it up, it's certainly we recognize it's beyond us. It's not something that that we're familiar with until somebody brings up higher power, the Tao, Zen. You're not born into a culture where you hear any of that. So what you're saying is that the, the individual self that's kind of going around thinking that it's in charge, you know, pretending in a way that it's in charge is actually in in possession of, or actually, you, I guess you could say, just an extension of something that is beyond and maybe also, I think what you're saying is sort of before. You know, I think that what, it, what you could say about it is that when we're born into this world as a human, yeah. we begin a process of conditioning according to the culture that we're in. And at this time in history, other than in a few places, it's emphasized that you are who we've named, who we've dressed, who we've sent to school, who we've educated, all of it. Right. And so to me, it's completely natural to be trying to do that to the best of your ability. Right. And, but the truth of the matter is that won't get anywhere that anyone else will get even without that attitude as long as they keep operating from that idea of an individual self because maybe you were a, a good student i know in elementary school and maybe there was other students there that were cheating or not yeah. paying attention or not doing the assignments yeah. and i'm just saying in either case the self is is alive and well right right it's still about I want, I want, and that doesn't change. Right. And so you can go on and on uh, through the educational world. So this is really a, a, a kind of a, a paradigm shift, a sort of expanded paradigm of what, of where we actually stand in this in this world. Well, that's a, I think that's a pretty good way of putting it. Our relationship to the cosmos. The cosmos being everything. Yeah, we're not in charge. And a relationship <laughs> right. to that cosmos is recognizing that you're not separate from it. Right. And functioning with it. Rather than... In, in, in conflict to it or like... Trying to get Everything's a problem that happens. Yeah. Everything. Like, <laughs> right. we're all, we're completely one-sided. We want it this way. When it's the other way, we can't deal with it. Right. And that's... Fair enough. That's what the, the humans can't do, and they've never been able to do it. It's now 2024, and we're no better at it than we were in 1924. So are you suggesting that we should try to um, emulate the mind of the ox cutter? Well, absolutely. And how... Because he was an artist. Yeah. And an artist is, as I've talked over the years I've said to be an artist you don't have to be a great painter you don't have to be a great calligrapher you 
become your art. Mm. This is what you're sculpting. And you're saying they're not just you as a body, but the life that you live. Well, it includes, I think, when, when, when I see, when I saw my teachers, I saw a beautiful character mm-hmm. that was uh, happy, cheerful, yeah. just didn't seem to be troubled by anything. And, of course, I wanted to become a person like that. I see. And, and, and so you want to find out, well, how did they do that? And it's always, it's always going to be the same. There's just splendid examples of it. Give up the self and realize the truth. It's an easy statement to make, yeah. but recognizing it also is a process. And if you start and you turn the process into, even though at the outset you want, if you turn the process over to the guidance you're getting, yeah. whether you are becoming an artist or a painter or a calligrapher, you've got to operate as if that person knows better than you do, yeah. at the very least. Right. Right? So you can, the, the more you're available, the more likelihood you're not only going to be given more, but yeah. you're going to absorb more because you're getting out of the way. Okay. And you recognize when you're, when you're in the way, right. because what happens? We have trouble. Right. How do you trouble a man or a woman of the way, of the Tao, of Zen? You can't do it. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And if you can, you're, they're just saying to you, I'm not really a person of the way. I'm trying, I'm trying to do that. Right. But it, clearly, if I get annoyed over, I mean, think of the things in your life that have annoyed you over the years and just go, oh, my God. Right, what was that right? about? Right. And it's always the same. It's right. because there's a self to be annoyed. Well, a self that wanted something that it didn't get, right? Or it turned, yeah, something happened it didn't like. Mm-hmm. So, Nim, we're, we're getting to the, the time where you sort of suggested that we wrap these up around half an hour. Mm-hmm. And But I wonder if I could um, get your advice about something. So folks like I have, they'll show up here looking for guidance in Zen. So there's a person that comes here who's made it very sincerely clear that they want guidance and, you know, has asked me and you, you know, to, for guidance around Zen practice. And this person has self-described that they just, they leave traces of themselves everywhere. When they, they come in a room and they, they lose their keys and they set this here and they can't remember things. And so the other day, uh, and this isn't the first time this has happened. I uh, this person offered to clean something that needed to be cleaned, and I said, "Oh, great! Well, you know the 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 cleaner spray and the rags. I showed them where the supplies were, and and then they went and they cleaned it. And this was now more than a week ago, a week and a half ago. And so every day for a week and a half, probably more like two weeks." I go into the cleaning supply room because that's where the shower room is. So I go in there every day to take, you know, take a shower or to wash up in the morning. And I see the spray bottle and the rag that the person has used. They'd set somewhere where it doesn't belong. And I go into that room soon every day and I stare at it. And it reminds me, 
like it's like a reminder to me that I don't know what to do to guide this person. Okay, let me let me <clears throat> respond to that. <laughs> so I just let it continue to sit there the in the wrong place. <laughs> that you provided to that person uh-huh. was too advanced. <laughs> okay, what should I have? What should I have done? I would have first gone to see how they put their shoes away. Hmm. I would see if they know when to bow and when not to bow. Okay. That's the building blocks. Mm. We do a whole series of things, but it all starts with being received by someone and being taught to put the shoes away. Yeah. So... I don't know how that person put their shoes away, but they said they wanted to help. And you could have said, for example, make sure the shoes are right. Yeah. So, Sunim, what should I do with the the bottle and the rag? Put it where it belongs and don't give advanced (laughs) teaching to anyone else. Okay, that sounds good. It's funny how you don't realize that... Yeah. What I've been talking about is that you need to have guidance, and you have to have guidance. And even if you give a person a try like that, now I would expect that you'd give them guidance that would be, even from your point of view, perceived as an easier thing to do. Yeah. Like maybe how do they fix their mat before they sit. Right. I don't think there's any other way. I mean, you've trained in many places, as I have, and there's just there's a way of doing it. It isn't some absolute way. It's just the way it's done in that place. Yeah. And as a Zen student, you learn how it's done, and you do it that way. Right. But most people say, oh, I know how to clean. No, we <laughs> right. don't care that you know how to clean. Right. You know how to clean like a Zen monk or a Zen practitioner like cleans. Like an ox cutter. And the answer in that case is, without even talking right. about that, no, they don't know yet. Well, I, ha- I have to say that, boy, what a wonderful idea that you could have a knife that doesn't need to be sharpened for 19 years. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for your time.